Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's survival show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. This is episode number 204 and this week's subject matter is going to be something that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. It's kind of like the unrealistic mentality that a lot of people in the survival community have. And it's it's a based on a, a pretty good article that I recently read, and I'm going to give credit to the author of the article pretty soon here in just a moment. But I want to welcome you to the show and tell you this is a practical show. You know, most of you know I don't like to go tinfoil hat and get off into you know, crazy conspiracy theorists and stuff like that. I just, you know, kind of keep this rooted in good old common sense. So let's start off with an email that I recently received from a listener. And it was actually kind of cool to get this uh, email. His name is Andrew. He's from England. And listen to this. He writes and he says to me, Bob, I trust that this finds you well. I've been listening to your show for a few weeks, which I found to be interesting and useful. He says, a bit of background. I live in the southwestern portion of England. I don't view myself as a survivalist, and he's got that in quotes, in any way, shape, or form, which may sound a bit odd, as I'm registering on your forum. I consider myself someone who has enough common sense to prepare themselves for the potential economic hardships ahead. So, learning how to fish, grow some food, repair the house, things like that, in order to save some pennies, and learn some new skills, fits nicely into my way of thinking. And that was pretty much kind of the end of the email. Well, Andrew, guess what? I have a message for you. You are indeed a survivalist. And you see, this kind of plays into the subject matter. That some people have a very unrealistic mentality when it comes to survival. I think Andrew from England is definitely the example of a common sense, modern day survivalist. Yeah, now there are really fringe dwellers out there and so forth, and I'm going to talk about them. So let's get right into it. Folks, i got to tell you something. I want to apologize a little bit up front here. If this audio quality is not the same as what you've been used to, I, I've lost my headset. I don't know what happened to it. It's gone. Something For some reason, my beloved he- headset is gone. So I'm using a different headset. I'm using the Skull Candy headset that I typically use for my cell phone and using my iPad to do this. So we're going to see how this turns out. I might have to break down and buy another one, but we'll give it a shot here. Okay, so, you know, my show is about doing what you can with what you have wherever you are, right? And I spend a lot of time talking about that. Well, a guy named Brian... R, and he wrote for the Survival Blog, a little over a year ago, actually. I thought this was pretty good. And it's still very, very relevant today. It's about the unrealistic mentality of a lot of survivalists out there. You know, lately I've been reading Glenn Tate's books. I've told you about that. You can find Glenn Tate's books on my website if you want. Glenn Tate, the author of 299 Days, his fifth book series or his fifth book in the series is coming out soon. And you might see a quote from me on that. I kind of found out a little bit about that today. Anyway, 
he talks about what's called a partial collapse. And as most of you know, you can buy his books if you go to www.todayssurvival.com and just click recommended books. It'll help me out. It'll help out my show. I would appreciate that if you could do that. If you're going to buy the book, buy it from my site, from my Amazon store. That way I'll make a little extra money and it helps support the show. But this gentleman named Brian R. kind of has the same message. Very similar. And I'll put a link in the show notes. You'll be able to see where I'm getting this from. Because I'm going to do some paraphrasing here of this article. And he he says that, you know, a lot of us are kind of guilty into falling into that Wolverine's mindset. Okay? And we we sort of have an image of being a survivalist as someone that goes toe-to-toe with some insidious foreign invaders. Right? They're they're, going to set up these ambushes to destroy evil occupiers. Or we have these fantasies of fighting off, you know, droves of hostile people, you know, whether they're urban gangbangers or local looters and stuff like that. It seems like the modern survival people, or a lot of them, seem to be very obsessed with the idea of a total collapse. But, you know, I think what's more realistic is that a partial collapse is coming. A lot of people are writing about, oh, when's the shit going to hit the fan, you know? And when when is it just going to all, you know, go south on us? You know, and I like to I like to kind of keep this a family friendly show. So sorry about the uh, the word there. Okay, maybe I should change that to the stink hitting the fan. Sorry if you have kids listening to this, but we get this. Some people get this far out fantasy that it's just going to all break down. Would you agree with me on something? Would you agree that in many ways? the stink has already hit the fan? You know, look at food prices. Look at the price of ammo. Look at the job situation in America. Is it not bad? Do we have more people living in poverty? Do we have more people losing their homes? You know, I hear about a recovery supposedly going on. I think it's a false recovery. That's a different podcast I'm going to do a little bit, probably in about a week or two. I think what we're going through right now is a false recovery, if you could actually call it a recovery. I mean, they say consumer confidence is up, and the housing market is up, and things like that. This could be the makings of a false recovery, where we think we're recovering, but not so fast. On the other end of this recovery is going to be a collapse. But you have a lot of people that are really, they have this idea of a total collapse of all authority. You know, to the point where society is not much better than Somalia. You know, and, and, and the idea of a total collapse, it's been covered ad nauseum, folks. I mean, it's just, you can, you can read it all over the internet, and it's, it's ridiculous. But if you have prepared for a total collapse, and your entire mindset and mentality and preps are focused on that, what are you going to do if the collapse is not? a total collapse. What if instead of a nuclear war, there's simply just an increase in violent crime? Have we had that? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Now you might say, well, Bob, the violent crime rate is down. Well, tell that to the people who lost all those kids at the Sandy Hook shooting 
at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut recently. So, you know, I, I think in many ways the stink's hitting the fan already. It's a lot of small, little events, but it's hitting the fan. So short of a total collapse of central, uh, central authority, are you prepared to live in an America that's partially collapsed? Maybe one that's a little bit more dangerous than it presently is, but you don't quite have the green light to start putting on all your tactical armor and everything like that and taking your battle rifle out into the streets. If you've been reading Furfall's blog uh, about surviving in Argentina, one of the great blogs, and I'm going to go ahead and link to that too, you know, he's got this, uh, these thoughts on urban survival. And, and it was written about his experience during the 90s situation in Argentina. And he makes it very clear that there are other sorts of collapses that are par- uh, possible. One of those is a partial collapse. He had to survive in a major urban area with a very depressed economy, issues of hyperinflation, and an area that's prone to danger and violence. And he, he reported that simply being, to, to avoid being kidnapped or avoid being robbed or mugged or carjacked or killed, that was somewhat of a chore, but it was an accomplishment. And there were no armed gangs or anything like that cruising around the city with you know openly looting stores and, and, and ransacking foreign embassies. Rather, there were massive increases in street-level crime against ordinary people. And much of that crime being perpetrated by ordinary individuals. Now, I've, I've talked about this. A lot of these could be ordinary people who previously had respectable jobs. They were respectable, upstanding citizens in the community. These people were not what you would think of as bad people. But I've said it before, when, when things get tough, when desperate times come, people get desperate and they do desperate things. And I think that's a lot more likely, far more likely, what we're going to run into. And Furfall reported that those who were in the city were were in a pretty bad way, and they were almost, well, almost as worse, if not more, in some ways, were those who were 30 to 40 miles outside of the city. So, you know, there's this argument, well, gee, should I be in the country, or, or should I be in the city. Now he reports that some of those people that were 30 to 40 miles outside of a city in remote isolated country homes might have been worse off. You know, cr- criminal gangs, anywhere from 5 to 10 to 20 thugs would drive out of the cities and go out into isolated areas. Case it out and then do nasty violent home invasion takeovers. It would usually entail torture and rape and murder. And the thing is, is most of these victims were way too isolated to receive any help from neighbors or local authorities. So think about that. Think about that. A lot of us like to have bug, lo- bug out locations, you know, way out in the boonies, but think about that. If, you're, if you've bugged out to your bug out location, what's going to happen if the violence comes to you? And he said, you know, they were just as doomed as though they were in the cities. And sometimes more so, because at least the criminals operating in the cities 
we're, we're very seldom able to spend several hours inside of an apartment torturing and raping. They would strike quick, grab a purse, steal a car, and then run. But out in the countryside, with no neighbors, no police, no one else to worry about, they'd spend hours on, on farmsteads, taking their time to steal everything, torturing the residents as they, as they wish. So, in Argentina, Furfall declared that those who managed to avoid, to avoid the bulk of the trouble due to the collapsed Argentine economy were those who lived in or fairly close to small-knit towns where residents looked out for each other. This is kind of how I grew up. I grew up in a small-knit, small-knit close town, and I kind of missed that. You know, now living in Metro San Antonio, it's, you know, that's certainly not a small, close-knit town. Now, I'm, I've got a fairly good relationship with my neighbors, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that because that's also very important as well. In some of these small towns, the residents are able to look out for each other. And they kind of knew who belonged in the town and who didn't belong. And the people who were most vulnerable were the most isolated, rural-dwelling people. Now, the typical American survivalist seems to believe that being in the middle of nowhere is the best way to go. And it'll ensure that they're reasonably safe But the fact of the matter is that an armed and organized gang, such as those in South Africa, very routinely drive two or three hours from cities into the countryside to launch their attacks. And it's, you know, it's kind of hard to find true isolation here in the United States. I mean, maybe up in Alaska, but maybe even some parts of, uh, you know, Montana and Wyoming, but it's... Kind of tough to find that real isolation. Another thinking that kind of frustrates me among some survivalists is a lot of them seem to believe that their neighbors are just going to prey on them and try to take their supplies or leech off of their preparations. Now that might be true, but not always. I mean, think about that. If you don't have any rapport with your neighbors then they might not think twice about harming you. But if you have a good friendship and a relationship that's been built over months or years, that could be different. So, it's not so much a guarantee, and a lot of people think that, oh, well, my neighbors are just going to come and take whatever I got. I need to be leery of my neighbors. Not so. Sometimes having a prepper team can be very, very valuable, and sometimes your neighbors make up that prepper team. So, our preps need to focus on our own immediate surroundings and our own immediate communities. Because when when the stink hits the fan, when that trouble starts, you're going to need those people. One family alone can be weak, but a community, a collection of families working together can be stronger than any single, single segment of that community trying to go by themselves or to go it alone. If you get Glenn Tate's book series, 299 Days, you'll, you'll read about some of that stuff in there. So I think it's pretty naive and foolish for some survivalists to think that there's only going to be problems in the cities or 
that there'll be a total collapse that'll allow for open street warfare and the wearing of tactical body armor and daily carrying of rifles and shotguns and and stuff like that. Now, is am I saying that's impossible? No, I'm not saying it's impossible, but probably not likely. What's probably far more likely is a society that gets gradually, increasingly dangerous on a daily basis for the basic individual who's just minding their own business going about their daily routine. People should be prepping to survive and avoid becoming a victim in a society that might resemble Brazil or South Africa or 1990s Russia or late 1990s Argentina or Greece. And that's a society with a corrupt central government, a decaying first world infrastructure, terrible economic problems, and brutal crime on the rise. Does that sound familiar? The situation in South Africa right now proves that if you live on a rural farm, it's no guarantee of security. Here's something else I want you to think about. In order for there to be a need to openly wear tactical body armor and carry a rifle down the street and things like that, society has to pretty much fall to the point where there's no centralized authority. And there are no local police. Open warfare and street fighting becomes the norm. And I that's, that's kind of a, a far lower probability. In a 1990s Argentine collapse, or a present-day Brazil, unless you're a uniformed police officer walking down the street in tactical body armor while carrying a rifle, that's most likely going to succeed in drawing gunfire from the police or other internal security forces. Just because a tornado came through a town or a levee's breaking flood water, breaking and flooding the streets doesn't mean you get to go to Walmart loaded for bear as though you're ready to head into you know Iraq or Afghanistan or something like that. So think about it. American survivalists who are serious about surviving the present situation in the U.S., or at least surviving until the Yugoslavian-style street warfare begins, if it ever does, we should place an emphasis on things like concealed carry and concealable body armor and martial arts training and physical fitness and home security systems and reaction drills for home invasions and what to do if your house starts on fire and defensive driving, and personal defense in and around your vehicle, and things like that, and increasing your situational awareness. These are the much more common sense skills and situations that I really believe that people should be preparing for. And it's kind of more of the philosophy that I have towards survivalism. You know, to, to stress a point that, that cannot be overstated, Get to know those who live around you and get on friendly terms with them so they're inclined to let you know if somebody's following you, for example, or if someone's casing your property, for example. Okay? 
You know, not to mention mowing down your neighbors over a can of tuna is not going to really solve the problems facing our society. I mean, it would be a pretty ugly day when Americans turn on each other and tear the country apart. The East Coast elites in Washington, D.C. and New York City would love nothing more than for the peasants in the interior of our country to grind themselves down killing each other while they themselves remain safe on their yachts and their New England estates and their Manhattan penthouses armed to the hilt with people with guns protecting them. But as Furfall in Argentina explained, excuse me, in regards to the regular commoners, those who made it safely through the 1990s with very little difficulty were those in small, close-knit communities who had the support and the trust of their neighbors. You know, all this talk about what to do when the UN arrives and how to handle the aliens landing and what to do when China invades and what to do when the cities collapse and total anarchy and, and the blood flows in the streets. It's nice to think about in, in, in terms of even if that happens, I'm prepared. Oh yeah, I got that covered. But in terms of reality, that's pie-in-the-sky stuff, folks. Would you agree? Most collapses in recent years have been along the lines of what happened in Zimbabwe in the late 1990s, or Argentina, like I've discussed before. If the government of the United States decides to pursue an active genocide against a portion of the population, and if you're in that proportion of the population, you may be in some danger. Of course, it's that simple. But is that really probable? If the U.S. fragments along ethical and racial lines, you better hope the land you're living on is included in the territory for your people, or you could be in some danger. Those situations are kind of hard to plan for. And the particulars of them are very difficult to anticipate as they start to unfold. But even still, even if America is going to break up, and it may not, but it does no good to prepare for that breakup if while you're preparing for that breakup you become a, a crime statistic because you were unprepared to defend yourself from violent street crime. Survivalists should look at how daily life works and how that could be impacted. Just your daily life getting impacted can be, for some people, a stink hit the fan event. And having all the supplies you can afford crammed into a bunker doesn't do anything for you if you get stabbed to death in the parking lot coming home from work. You got to extend your survival mentality and preps and you have to put it into your daily lives and, and figure out how does this apply to you every day. Now, another thing that should be noted here in Brian's article, it's very good, and I agree with him on this. He says, I've noticed that a great deal of American survivalists seem to miss the mark in terms of physical fitness. Boy, isn't that the truth? You know, I struggle with that too. <clears throat> I'm reasonably fit. I'm not a physical specimen by any means. Those of you who know me know that I'm not. 
But if I got to throw a pack on and run two miles, I can get it done. I can get it done without passing out. Can you? Physical fitness seems to be very much overlooked. I mean, you see all these grossly obese people claiming to be survivalists or militia members and things like that. It kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? And they don't seem to have a desire to bring their weight down to a proportionate weight to their height and get a little bit more healthier. You know, if somebody thinks stocking up on guns and food in anticipation of the black helicopters coming to take you away, if you think that makes you a survivalist, you're sorely mistaken. The importance of physical fitness is so important. If you can't move and fight, or if you don't have the physical ability to build a structure or to build a new shelter, it's going to be very difficult for you to survive. You're going to be very, what we call, combat ineffective and unable to defend yourself and your family and your fellow team members. So, if you're listening to this right now, get in physical fitness. You know, I I work out three days a week, sometimes four, minimum. It's not a heavy workout. You know, my workout consists of lightweight lifting, 15 to 20 minutes worth of exercise, cardiovascular exercise. That's all you got to do. Just be consistent with it, three or four times a week, 15, 20 minutes. If you can handle more, if you can handle 30 minutes on the, on the cardio, that's fine. Light weight lifting. You know that light weight lifting, you can get just as much benefit as you can from heavy weight lifting. If you do lighter weights, more repetitions, make sure you use very, very good form. Keep your pace up. Uh, folks, trust me, I, I've, I've been able to get my body in reasonably good shape doing that. You don't have to be a bodybuilder. You don't have to try to bench 550 pounds one time. I mean, that's okay. I admire people who can do that. That's pretty good. But I don't think that's what you need to do to be a survivalist. You just have to keep your physical condition up to a reasonable level. Don't anticipate losing weight only after the fast food joint has has been taken out in a Chinese air raid, and food in general has become increasingly scarce. That's not the time to start losing some weight. Now's the time to make your body an asset rather than a liability. I'll say that again. Now is the time to make your body an asset instead of a liability. And if you want to kill two birds with one stone, start training in some kind of a combat art like boxing or wrestling, submission grappling, sparring, MMA, Krav Maga, stuff like that. Then you're going to see a rapid loss of weight. And you're going to improve your physical condition and learn a defensive skill to boot. And it might just keep you from being some kind of a crime statistic. You know, that's important because, again, we're talking about a partial collapse here. And... You know, if you've got a fallout shelter, if you got a bug-out location, you know, some kind of a retreat or cabin, that's all fine and dandy, but if you don't carry concealed on a daily basis and you don't have any knowledge of martial arts or situational awareness or just basic self-defense, in the stink hit the fan, partial collapse, you could be missing the mark. If you're prepared for a nuclear war, 
or the fallout resulting from a nuclear war, but you're not prepared to deal with some knife-armed, maniac, drug-crazed thug that you bump into at the corner store, or the two thugs that try to jump you while you're pulling money out of the ATM, or the gang member who tries to carjack you at the red light, you need to shift some of your energy and resources away from that pie-in-the-sky red dawn crap to something more realistic and applicable on a daily basis. You need to focus on staying safe in an increasingly dangerous and, what I think, desperate America. If you're ready for a total collapse, you need to make sure you're also ready for the, for the possibility of a partial collapse or some variation of a partial collapse or something in between partial and total collapse. You might not be in a situation where you need to get out of Dodge and you may not be able to ride into Dodge with your rifle and clean up the town. You might find yourself somewhere in between. So how are you prepping for that? How's your food storage? How's your water storage? How's your financial house? Is your financial house in order? My wife and I are getting ever so closer to buying some gold and silver, buying some more gold and silver, and, and diversifying our investment portfolio as a hedge. You know, folks, God, there's just absolutely no way there's absolutely no way that the United States can continue on the financial course that we're on. Reality is eventually going to hit. And, and you know what? You know what's going to cause the United States to reduce spending? You know what's really going to cause the United States to finally get spending under control? It's not going to be any politician, I can tell you that. Not one. Not one of those bums that we have. Well, they're not all bums. Okay. There are a few that are fiscally responsible patriots in Washington, D.C. But what's really going to cause a reduction in spending is none of those bum politicians. It's going to be reality. Reality is going to hit. Sooner or later, certain parts of this country are going to go broke. Certain services are going to go broke. They're not going to be able to provide the benefits that people expect Anymore, And I'm 100% convinced that when the benefits stop, when the checks quit rolling, the people will get more violent, they'll get more desperate. We will have a partial collapse of law and order. It not, might not be some, you know, completely without law and order. It's not going to be some, serious, some scenario like that, but I do believe that it's going to be something far different than what we see today. When people are low on food because they were too stupid to have more than three or four days worth of food in their house, and they start to get hungry, and their kids start to get hungry, and the elderly that's, that are living with them start to get hungry, that's when you're going to see a lot of trouble. And if you don't think that day is coming, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to try to wake you up, that if this country continues on the course that we're on, and I see no reason why it won't, that day will come. So, are you ready for the common sense things like that? Or are you clinging to this unrealistic mentality of what you read on a lot of forums out there? About a doomsday Armageddon coming. Now, most of you know that I'm a man of faith. I'm a man of Christian faith. 
I don't mind confessing that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to impose that on you. I'm not going to try to make you conform to a certain religious belief. You can be a great survivalist and not be religious. But the reason I bring that up is I do believe that there's going to come an end of the world that we can't do anything about. But that's not what I talk about here on this show. I don't talk about the end of the world that we can't do anything about. I like to talk about the partial collapses that we can do something about. And when I say do something about, I don't mean avoid the partial collapse. I mean be able to mitigate and lessen the impact. To where a partial collapse for you is really just an inconvenience. It's not really a disaster. I'll say that again. Your goal should be to make a partial collapse an inconvenience, not a disaster. Just like what Andrew pointed out earlier when I read his email, where he says he doesn't, he doesn't really view himself as a survivalist. Well, you know what? Most people don't really view themselves as a survivalist. And that word, that word survivalist, you notice I've kind of changed it to prepper. And I'm, I'm still struggling for a terminology to call it because I don't want it to carry the negative connotation that it carries. I don't want people to think that we're fringe dwellers. Yeah, excuse me, fringe dwellers. We're just like Andrew in England. We're common sense kinds of people wanting to learn how to fish, how to hunt, how to grow some food, how to raise some animals, how to repair your house, how to fix your car, how to learn first aid skills, how to defend your family, how to use a handgun to stop the thug from mugging you, and things like that. That's, that's what we're all about. That's what a lot of us are like. We're a lot like Andrew in England that have more of a common sense approach. And so I'm going to wrap up this, this, this episode, and it's kind of a short episode. I know it's a little bit shorter than what I normally do, but some of my more recent episodes have been getting a little bit long. So I want to kind of try to shorten these up and make them a little bit more hard-hitting and useful. And I know some of you don't have a whole lot of time to sit and listen to an hour or an hour and a half show, so I'm trying to keep this down to a reasonable uh, time frame. So I'll leave you with this. What is your attitude? What is your attitude towards survivalism? Are you trying to get people in your family, perhaps, or in your prepper team, to pay closer attention to what you're doing? The key is to do it in moderation and talk about how it's common sense. How what we do now helps us now. And it helps set us up for what might come in the future. How it's nothing more than personal responsibility. How really it's how our grandparents lived. And our great-grandparents. They were self-sufficient, weren't they? They didn't have a Walmart to go run to that was open 24 hours. There weren't very, very many McDonald's or Wendy's or Starbucks where they could run in and get something quick. They didn't have internet. They couldn't look up a YouTube video on how to administer first aid or use a tourniquet, for example. There were no microwavable meals and things like that. But you know what? They lived. They got by. They made, what, they made do with what they had. And they were common sense, self-sufficient people. They were the epitome of doing what you can 
with what you have, wherever you are. So that's my thoughts for this week. Trying to avoid the unrealistic mentality. With all that said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. This is Bob Main. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of today's Survival Show. Where it's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next week. Oh, by the way, before I let you go, please don't forget to join the forum. Join the Today's Survival Show forum. Uh, if you join the forum, do me a favor. Please email me, bob at todayssurvival.com. There's two S's in that address, by the way. Bob at todayssurvival.com. Email me and tell me that you signed up for the forum. Give me the username and or the email, preferably the username that you used to register. This is how I keep spammers out. It's a good forum. It's a good, small, well-controlled, well-policed forum. And uh, I think you're going to like it. So join that. Please don't forget about my Survival Champions Club. If you like what I do here, you want to support my work here on today's Survival Show, you know, uh, consider getting the Survival Champions Club. If you go over to www.todayssurvival.com, you can get a really good deal on some premium podcasts. You do have to pay for them. Very nominal fee. Check that out. Glenn Tate gives me part two on developing a prepper team. A guy named John Neusser, who is an incredible self-defense expert and also a wilderness first responder, spends time talking about how he trains for self-defense. You can get those premium podcasts. You can help support my show. And I'll email you the instructions on how to get those. And don't forget to look at my everyday carry store and my recommended book section. And anything you buy on Amazon, by using one of the links on my page, anything you buy on Amazon helps support my show. Thanks, folks. I'll catch you next week. Talk to you later.